0: Welcome to The Peel, where we break through the surface of sustainability in Florida and get to the juicy stuff at the center of it all. I'm your host, Amber Whittle, Executive Director of South Face Sarasota at the Florida House. We're a nonprofit that is increasing the resilience, affordability, and health of Florida's buildings and communities, and we're saving the planet along the way. Check out our programs and events at southface.org Sarasota and schedule your tour of the Florida House Green Demonstration Home and Gardens today. Our guest is Kelly Romanoff, Innovation and Impact Officer at the Charles and Marjorie Brancic Foundation. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks, Amber. And thank you for joining us for The Peel. My pleasure. <laughs> so the Charles and Marjorie Brancic Foundation is a huge supporter of our community. Please tell us about the foundation's history and mission.
1: Gladly. I appreciate being on here with you today. To talk about the Brancic Foundation, we have to start with our founders, Chuck and Margie Brancic. They were wonderful people who uh, had a big heart and vision for their philanthropy in Sarasota. Chuck and Margie were snowbirds here in our community for about uh, 30 years before they really formalized their philanthropy. And they had very broad interests in in supporting our community. They believed that education is really the red thread that runs through everything and everybody, and that it's a gift that you can give uh, someone that no one else can take away. So education is a major cornerstone of their charitable legacy. Um, Chuck was in industrial manufacturing. He liked to see the goods that were being created by the companies that he owned, Um, He was a believer in researching and finding the best companies, investing in them, and really holding on to them while they gained in their value. Um, And that same strategy is used in the foundation's investments into our nonprofit partners and communities. We believe in finding the best organizations who are doing really good work, giving them the resources they need to to fulfill their missions, and staying with them for a long time to see the optimum returns. Um, so that's a bit about the Brancic Foundation. Um, we fund all types of programs and services and are happy to be partners of, of you all in South Face's work. Yes, you guys have been great
0: partners. And I always hear your name when, you know, I see it in the news and our funding partners and our, our other nonprofit partners. They're always like, yeah, the Brancic Foundation. And I heard about you even before I took this job. <laughs> Stevie Montes told me, they're like, Brancic is
1: someone you need to talk to. Well, I, I think the the family was very um visionary in, in realizing what the foundation would would mean for the community. And Chuck and Margie took great care uh in their lifetime to to see the foundation be built. Um As a as a true organization, Uh, you know, many philanthropists wait until they pass away for their estate gift to to fund their charitable intentions. But Chuck and Margie really wanted to see it happen during their lifetime. And they hired our CEO, Terry Hansen, to um, to start it up and put all the infrastructure in place and um, uh, we have a full board that includes members of the family, uh, members of Chuck, the home office that worked for Chuck for many years, as well as local Sarasota residents who serve on the board. Um, and, and they took time, the, the family and the board really took time to think through their strategies and their focus areas. Uh, and, and it covers arts and culture, education, the environment, um, humanitarian issues like homelessness, housing, food, um, early learning, early childhood development, and and, and really when you look at um, at the community those aren't individual issues. You you look at a family or an individual and it's a holistic picture. It's it's someone's going, you know, has a meaningful job. Uh, their child is receiving a good education. They have a relationship with a healthcare provider. They have a community of support and family and faith around them. They have access to nature and water and clean air. And the, the family really sees that holistic picture uh, through their, through their grant making and investments they make in the community. That's
0: excellent. And where did they come from? Where did Charles and you said they're Chicago, born? Chicago. So do they also have, um, a, a foundation up in Chicago too?
1: The foundation's here in Sarasota Interesting. and, uh, they believed that they could make the most meaningful difference here in Sarasota.
0: And I think that they're probably right. I mean, Chicago has a huge, you know, centuries long history of philanthropy um, and our community has always been very generous too. Um, but we certainly mostly through donor advice funds. So this is, you know, having a foundation that has such a broad range is really, and broad range and depth really is been something that's been special for us. Oh,
1: good, Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's an opportunity and a challenge and it's to, to do it well and to do it right in their, in their honor, uh, and certainly take great guidance from the family who are still on the board and, um, Makes me want to sing a fire engine song, <laughs> but I won't. So, uh, actually, uh, fire engine. One of Chuck's big companies was on uh, fire retardants, and so they would have um, they would have uh, gas cans that, if it got too hot on a job site, would have a slight release valve so that it wouldn't combust. It would just slowly re- release the gas mm-hmm. and um, fire sprinklers. So it's appropriate that the fire engine goes by. Oh.
0: <laughs> well, it's always. We always talk about that when you follow the, the port of john right? Like there is the little innovations that really make a huge difference in your life, right? Rather, people always want to do the big flashy things, but all, you know, it sounds like he had a whole history of of making small, very useful investments
1: in manufacturing. And I think that analogy can carry into sustainability. It's those small things that we can all do every day in our home and in our lifestyle that lead to big change.
0: Right. And we're going to have to do that. So we have a with climate change, we have a very, very, very big challenge in front of us. And that is, you're right. That's what South Face focuses on: is within building science, the small things that all add up. And that is, we're going to have to do it. They call environmental damage, you know, death by a thousand cuts, and that's what the reverse is too: building by a thousand blocks, and that's what we're doing. So, so working for such a great organization sounds like a dream job. What career path did you take to be the innovation and impact officer?
1: Hmm. Uh, what? Let's see. I, I took out my Candyland board and I rolled the <laughs> dice. Uh, I grew up in a home. Uh, my father was in the Air Force, and um, the values of service and leadership and community were part of our family. So when I was in uh, studying at the University of Central Florida and thinking about what I wanted to do. Um, I was given the advice of follow your strengths and uh, work with others who um, who are really good at your weaknesses. So I knew I wasn't going to go into finance; that is not my strength. Um, I knew I wasn't going to go into technology, also not my strength. Um, and but really, where where I found found a skill set was in in working with people to solve problems and bringing together diverse diverse partners to To come up with a vision that um, was working through systemic barriers or was trying to achieve a goal greater than any one individual organization or individual's goals. So um, that led me to philanthropy as a place where I could apply that those values of service and leadership and community and get to work with many stakeholders and many different types of projects for the betterment of of the mission and in our neighborhoods.
0: It sounds like our jobs are a lot the same because that's what I, that's how you build a nonprofit is collaborations and partnerships and just really trying to tackle those huge issues.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not being, um, not being kind of scared to take the elephant one bite at a time. But I do have to like finance too. (laughs) Yes. No, I do. I do like finance, but I'm not, uh, like I don't want to spend my whole day in spreadsheets.
0: Exactly. That's what I think about, um, Lots of, that's why I like my job is it's lots of different things every day. It's exciting. Yeah.
1: Today I've already, um, I started my morning on a discussion with the Salvation Army about substance abuse and homelessness. And then I went into a meeting on early learning and now we're here. And then this afternoon I get to go, um, do some fundraising on behalf of a childhood development initiative. So it's, it's the breadth of the projects is really, really exciting.
0: And I love that about you and, and your approach to philanthropy too, is Yes, you have um, funding and support from Brancic, but you always are also still a fundraiser. You bring in more partners to make it a larger collaboration.
1: Yeah, there's um, the Brancic Foundation is well endowed to the point where some projects we could just fund ourselves. I don't think that's in the best interest of the project, the nonprofits or the community. We purposefully craft strategies where there are room for many funders. Um, I think you get better results. I think you get broader buy-in. And people want to be a part of good work. So um, so we want to make sure that everything we're doing leaves the door open for anyone to come and participate, because uh, it doesn't matter if it's $5 or $5 million. Every gift matters to that person. And uh, and that's that's the beauty of philanthropy is that everybody can participate. And, yeah, we're very, very purposeful in, in how we craft our strategies so that there um, there's an invitation for many to, to join.
0: And we, so we we've talked often about bringing in national funders into Sarasota because there are some national funders. But I notice when I look at other nonprofits, when they have their sponsorships, et cetera, it's almost always exclusively Local funders—is that pretty common in most philanthropic communities, or is it sort of unique to Sarasota? Uh,
1: So I know Sarasota the most. This is where Mm -hmm. I've worked for um, for my career, so I I can't really compare it to others. I I just don't have that experience Um, to say. I I would say that certain industries lend itself more to national. Um, so I think with the environment per se, there are more national foundations. Whereas if you are a local, um, let's say uh, say domestic violence shelter, um, there again there might be some national grants, but uh, your your return on investment, you know if you're a small staff, you don't have the time to be cultivating local, state and national. And if there aren't really big, obvious national funders with deep pockets, um, you know, if you apply for a national grant, you're one of X number competing for a small pool of dollars. So it might be that it's just not really worth the return of their time. um, And they're they're more naturally um, aligned with the local foundations. Uh, So it's, yeah, again, I can't really compare it to others, but I, I would think it would more have to do with with where, how, how much time someone's able to invest in, and then the the national resources that align with the issue.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's always federal grants, et cetera, mm-hmm. like brother for social services or environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are always good sources. But, but
1: they're, they're very technical. They're very hard. They are, <laughs> yeah.
0: And they have a, their own language. I have done many, many federal grants. <laughs> So the Brancic Foundation is a great partner of South
1: Bay Sarasota.
0: Can you tell us about some of the other conservation projects currently underway?
1: Gladly. So uh, when I think about some of our conservation projects, I, I kind of picture our landscape. And so... Uh, we have these beautiful, the beautiful Gulf, our bays, our coastal lands, and then we kind of go upstream through our canals and into our flatlands and, and ponds. Mm-hmm. So if you just kind of picture Florida's beautiful swamp, um, I'll, I'll kind of walk you, give you a little mm-hmm. tour of some of our, our, our work. So um, and we have domains within our environment. We have our water quality. We have our our um, energy use. We have our our air and our our clean environment Um, and then we have habitats and animals so on the water side uh, we have a really exciting partnership here on the pond water interesting fact uh, Sarasota has almost 7,000 lakes or ponds and none of them are natural they're all man-made and they've all been man-made to accommodate for development for um, stormwater runoff in our um, and to to take you know, displace land and then filter water, rainwater. Um, but that, you know, we've we've undone Mother Nature's design, and there are consequences. So we are in a healthy pond project to try to restore the quality of those ponds as close to their natural state as possible. Get new vegetation around. Um, work with homeowners associations and our um, and those that set our environmental policy to say how can we how can we behave around this man-made pond as much as Mother Nature intended? And that will improve water quality and then stormwater runoff, which then goes downstream. And so as we move downstream through our canals and our bayous, um, we look at algae issues. Um, and we look at how uh, rainwater and fertilizer is going down and feeding into the environment in our bay. Um, and in the bay, we have some great projects that we've done um, around mangrove restoration. Mangroves are such a cool um, listener. If you um, haven't studied how mangroves work, go do it because uh, it just provides this amazing habitat and filtration um, so making sure that we have mangroves that are that are doing their job in the buffer between land and water and then in the water um it's out out in the bay we've invested in clams clams are amazing natural filter um, of the water and uh and we have whole clam beds that we've paid to have um, harvested and grown that feeds out into other animals out in the bay uh, we have a really cool program in sarasota bay it's the longest research study of dolphins in the wild. It's actually done through the Chicago Zoological Society, but it's Dr. Randy Wells and the Sarasota Dolphin Research Program. Mm-hmm. So we support him in um, monitoring the dolphin population. Um, they say that dolphins, they're our closest mammal to us that share our environment. So we eat the same fish, we drink the same water, we breathe the same air. So their well being is an indicator of our well being. And the better we take care of our bay and the quality of the fish that they eat, the healthier it all our environment is. And then you get into the home space and how energy efficiencies and water efficiencies affect um, issues of equity and financial independence and energy independence um, and that uh, being good stewards of. Um, generated resources, um, supports, again, it just kind of then goes back, back upstream and full cycle. Um, so that's, that's kind of a tour of our environmental work. A watershed tour as the uh, yes. science and
0: environment council would say. And as Rhonda Ryan would say, it's clim-tastic.
1: Oh wow. <laughs> wow
0: I love puns. Um Yeah. I mean, that's having that watershed view, I think is the most important way to look at the environment. So it's, it's, interesting to hear you talk about that right like we my past job was being the habitat administrator at the fish and wildlife research institute and that's how we looked at it we looked at water is you know a dynamic habitat and the rest are static habitats but they're all the
1: habitats down to the bay yeah, you clearly have the technical expertise to be able to explain that and so thank you for making that more succinct than mine uh, and then i think the other thing too in sarasota is looking out these beautiful windows is our sunshine and how we're, we're harvesting the, the clean energy of the sun. And we were really proud to work with Girls Inc., uh, which is an after-school provider of young women, and um, helped grant them funds for the largest solar installation in Sarasota County. And it's a, an amazing uh, roof that they have that now um, is, is just really reducing their utility expenses and bottom line so that they're able to put more money back into their direct programs because they're not having to pay as much for their energy utility bill. Uh, and so I think that's another way of, of maximizing the, the natural resources for the human benefit.
0: Exactly. I mean, we found with our goodies program, it's usually about a 30% savings in utilities that go back into the mission of the nonprofit. And I know here our solar panels um, that region solar and brilliant harvested have been a lifesaver for us um, as we've, you know, for our financial stability. We don't ever pay an electric bill. And it makes, you know, it makes a huge, huge, huge difference to us. And I know it will to other people. So I'm certainly hoping that that partnership you know, will continue and more nonprofits will get to benefit from that. And mm-hmm. energy efficiency. We always say you want to make sure you make the building energy efficient before you put solar on.
1: <laughs> Correct. Correct. Lots of all those small things, right? It's those small behavior changes that that then make way for the big difference, like solar.
0: Exactly. So, um, what do you think the biggest conservation issues are in Sarasota, and how can individuals make a difference?
1: Why don't you go first?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what do I think the biggest <laughs> conservation issues are? I think that we have to do smarter development, and that is the whole purpose of the Florida House. Is that we we're not going to be able to stop development that's you know taking people's financial futures and risk with the land that they have, but we can do it smarter. You know, we demonstrate how to keep all your stormwater on your property, so you could do that. Rather than have all these stormwater ponds, you could keep it on your property. You can have native habitats that are habitats for pollinators and for, you know, our fuzzy bunnies that are here. Um, And you can also then, of course, be energy efficient. We're very, very close. I did a podcast with Bill Nussie from Freeing Energy, and we're very, very close to being able to have solar and batteries. Right now, it's about the same cost as being on the grid, but in five years, it's going to be half the cost. And then in 20 years, it's going to be a fourth the cost. And that's clean energy. That's renewable. um, And we can even recycle the, the elements in the batteries. And so I think, like you said, taking all those small changes and we can control what we can control. I mean, I love the Conservation Foundation and the land that they're doing, and we need that for the wildlife corridor, absolutely for our larger animals. But we, as homeowners and as residents, can absolutely make a huge difference um, in our space, just with making little changes,
1: I, I agree with you, and I think those changes and in individual education is really important. As we're getting so many new residents to Sarasota, and really new residents to Florida, it's such a different landscape than other states. The same way, if I were to move up north, I would have to learn winter and how to how to be a part of that environment. Mm-hmm. And people coming to down here into Florida need to understand. Um, what our habitat is and is not. And um, I look around at St. Augustine grass. That's not natural, right? It needs water. It needs fertilizer to be kept green. And that's really not what's intended to grow here. So um, educating people about other options, about, you know, it can still look really pretty. It it can still feel lush but it's not going to be like, like the grass that grew on your farm in Indiana. Um, and, and so I would say that is, um, is a big issue is integrating our new neighbors into best practices to support the environment. Um, and, and yes, those small, small um, changes. Um, I think water quality is a big one. Um, it's, people are drawn here for the water and um, I I've lived in Florida since I was a little girl, and the news about the manatees dying really made me sad to think that here's this beautiful species that's just minding its own business, floating around in the water, and they're eating toxic grass, or they're getting killed because they're starving, or getting run over by boat traffic, and I, I just... You know, I'm not uh, you know out there chaining myself to a tree and saying like, no, we can never you know develop, we can never do these things. But I think there has to be a balance, and I think there has to be respect for for the species that that also call this home, Uh, and we we do need to consider as being the top of the food chain how our behavior does impact the other species who can't set policy, who don't have purchasing power, who aren't operating yeah. motorized vehicles, who aren't uh, contaminating uh, the space. We, we do need to take responsibility uh, for being the dominant mammal and, and consider how we are influ- you know, negatively impacting the well-being of others.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think we do have that moral imperative to do that. And I would say um, Sarasota is always about water. That's, you know, when I talk to partners. We always start with that. People are very, very connected to the water here. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because um, Biden has put, President Biden has put forth that 30 by 30 plan to protect 30% of land and ocean by 2030. And Sarasota County has 38% of its land already accounted for, a huge portion being Mayaka State Park. But I don't think we have any protection, full protection for our ocean, our bays, or our gulf. And so I think that's really interesting and it's a very prickly issue. And I and, you know, at FWC, we definitely worked on that, Um, but you don't get very far because it's commonly owned. Mm. Um, So I think that that's an issue we'll be working towards in the future is are there places that should be, you know, not have boat traffic or shouldn't have. I don't know, um, extractive fishing or whatever it is. I don't know what it would be, Um, but I think that that's an issue that people will be looking at to try and protect those species within the water.
1: I, I do think that the leaders in Sarasota County are very aware of our economic well-being relative to our environmental health. I, I do think they understand uh, why people move here, why people invest in this community and want to stay. And it is because of our natural environment and quality of life. So I think there is, um, with that shared uh, agreement on the intersection between economics and environment. They would be open to discussion. But yeah, how how, how you uh, go about that, who gets to make those decisions, um, certainly a, a delicate issue. Sarasota, the, the county, though, and the city have been great in setting goals Towards, um, towards renewable energy, towards um, sustainability. And I do really commend the commissioners um, at the city and county level for listening to the sustainability staff on there um, employed by the city and county to set forward strong, strong ideas. Um, so I, I hope there'll be an appetite for that discussion.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and of course you first need the scientific foundation of which, what would you protect and why and how will that help? Mm-hmm. So I know
1: that- The pond water work is a, is a start of that right no mo zones you know what type of landscaping should go around it so i think much of it is just education too it's just stopping to have the conversation and grounding it in in the education and then saying okay what is in everyone's best interest
0: exactly and then having solutions i think i find that as um an environmental nonprofit that that is the most powerful thing we can do is have some solutions, not just say these are all the things wrong.
1: Oh yeah, that, the, the the whole climate change discussion—it's like what you're telling me that I can't live here in ten years. Nope, I'm just going to go put my head in the sand. I mean, it is—it can be a wholly overwhelming um, discussion. So to come with those solutions, and that's one of the things that I've I've really enjoyed most about working with you and our other environmental leaders—is nobody is out there saying you're a bad person if you don't already do X, Y, or Z. No one's saying you're a bad person if you throw away a plastic water bottle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, really enjoy taking a 10 minute hot shower or leaving your faucet on while you're washing the dishes. Oh. Not that I do any of those things. <laughs> um, and, and, and yeah, starting from that place of kind of no judgment about where where your behavior is at or what mm-hmm. practices are being done, but let's let's think about this over time. And if everyone were to behave this way, would that be a good thing? Or a bad thing. And then finding those behaviors that if we all did more of would lead to um, a better quality of life. And seeing what you can change.
0: Because as you mm-hmm. talk about that intersectionality with equity, there are some things that people, some people have more ability to change and other people don't. Um, and so it's really good to just sort of have a whole variety of solutions and what can people afford. Because everyone can't put solar on their house. But if you can, and you want to, it's an amazing thing to do. And now it's economically feasible. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really the core um, of where we're at in terms of of getting ahead is it has to become economically feasible for people to do it on the large scale. And we're getting there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love it. So my last question, I always love a futurist hat. Um, So how do you think Sarasota
1: will change in the next 20 years? I think the two biggest factors are the influx of new residents and how their experience, their backgrounds, their culture is going to, to contribute to Sarasota. That's, that's one. Our, our demographics are changing. Our population is changing. And I, I don't know. I don't know what, what that will look like, but you can't have uh, hundreds of people moving here every week and not expect some uh, rebalancement of, um, of sense of community. And I think it's really important for us um, as the nonprofit sector in particular to, to welcome those residents, to engage them in volunteerism, to integrate them into our, you know, invite them into our arts and cultural organizations, invite them into our civic groups and our, our churches and our synagogues. Um, to, to really get to know our neighbors. Um, and I think that's one. So mm-hmm. welcoming our new neighbors and bringing them into the community and seeing what they contribute and are interested in, um, that's going to be a big change. We've, we haven't had that type of um, growth path in a while. We've always had people retiring here. But really now we have baby boomers. We have a lot of families, people that, you know, COVID really disrupted things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so we have a new a new wave of, of residents.
0: And people won't um, care about what they don't know. So I think you're absolutely right. Getting people to know about Florida and even the native habitats in Florida, like you
1: were talking about the grass. Yeah. And, and what do they know that we don't? Yep. Right. What expertise or uh, do they bring from their, their community in their homes that, that can benefit us too. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so opening up our doors to have that exchange with our new neighbors and, and not just sticking to, well, these are the people I know, but really integrating our new neighbors in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the other really big thing, um, is our, is affordable housing. um, It's we are pricing out our workforce. I think we have priced out our workforce. Yeah, 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 correct. The hospital right now has a thousand open jobs. And this isn't, you know, I'm not speaking out of term. Mm -hmm. This is something that they reported to the county commission a couple weeks ago. And they make offers every day. People say yes. And then they look at the housing market and they say, I'm sorry, I can't move. I can't accept your job. I can't move here. It's too expensive for me to live. Um, we have workforce in our child care centers, in our restaurants, at our dry cleaners, at our gas stations, in our schools, in our nonprofits, um, business hotels, who are saying, I can't afford my rent. I can't be here anymore uh and um until we come up with a real strategy and commit year over year to affordable housing and 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 I think the I think my you know, somebody is slapping my hand right it's not affordable housing it's it's workforce housing you know the median home price is $490,000 the average rent is $2200 for a two bedroom in downtown sarasota you know, a 500 square foot little loft apartment was $3,100 a month. That's not even for a well-paying job, like that, you know, a good job, you can't afford that. Mm -hmm. So until we, uh, if we don't figure that out, or as the damage of the housing market continues to sweep across the the community, I think that's, that's really going to shape um, our, our service sector and what we experience in terms of going out to a restaurant, thinking about going and getting your hair done and all, um, we're all going to feel the impacts.
0: Absolutely agree. And I, I always bring up energy efficiency as part of this too, because the housing can be affordable when it moves in, but you want to make sure it stays affordable for people who are living there too. So I think that's a really good element, but you're absolutely right. That we will, most of our jobs are service industry jobs here. And so, and we rely on that a lot as we have retirees and other wealthy residents, but we need to have a service industry. We need to have people who can afford to live here and
1: run the place. Every, every uh, business has a help wanted. Yep, It doesn't matter what the industry is, whether or not it's welding, a mechanic, a teacher, um, a maintenance staff, a gardener, a landscaping Every industry is looking for employees right now and uh, they are not going to be able to find them at at the rate of, of the lifestyle here. I thought it was a quick anecdote. I thought it was funny before
0: COVID, it was almost impossible for my teenagers to find jobs. And the average age at a fast food restaurant was 27. So, you know, when I was in school, it was all 17 year olds working at McDonald's, but the average age became 27. And as soon as COVID hit, like they try and poach my kids. Like other people come into their places of work and try and poach them constantly. So now they could get a job anywhere, even my son when he was 14. It's, it's amazing how... So that's that's the solution. The temporary solution is to try and get our teenagers working. <laughs> it, you know, there are worse things than having a job. Absolutely. But it's more stress on the teenagers too. So And the mom. Yes. <laughs> for the drive. Well, thank you, Kelly. And thanks for listening to The Peel. To get involved with South Face Sarasota at the Florida House, visit southface.org Sarasota. Until next time, stay sunny.